All right, guys, I'm going to try to record this intro without uh, getting Blake sneezing and snorting over here in the background. Uh, this is, he's over here doing his QuickBooks and computer emails and, you know, just doing all this stuff. And he's, <laughs> look at him, son. I wish y'all could see him right now. <laughs> this is, uh, this part two with Stacy Marshall. Man, are y'all enjoying this conversation with Stacy or not? I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, um, the first part, we just kind of got to go through some of her story, and we left off with her statement, yeah, but sometimes hope pisses people off. And we continue on with that story and go even deeper into these topics with Stacy in episode two or part two. Y'all let me know what you think about it. These are tough topics to sit down and have a talk about. And Stacy had a lot of courage for coming on and sharing the way that she shared. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going to talk to you real quick. I told you I was going to give you some gear reviews on here. I'm going to talk to you real quick before we dig into part two with Stacy. If you, ha- uh, By the way, if you haven't listened to part one, one you got to go listen to part one before you listen to this. Um, This is your, your ExoSkin gear review. Right now, I've got this exoskin beanie. All right. A lot of y'all talking about, why Why are you talking about a beanie, Chad? Well, here's the thing. You lose a lot of heat out of the top of your head, and it's getting cold outside. If it's not already really cold where you are, it's getting cold. And... I can't tell you how many times I've seen people out in the backcountry running a race, uh, whether they're running a race or backpacking or whatever they're doing, and they come into an aid station or they're stopping to take a break, and they get super cold really fast. That's dangerous. One of the ways that you can prevent that is by wearing a good beanie. This is the one that I wear. It's made by Exoskin. I wear it because it is very, very comfortable and it is the same quality that I have come to expect from all of ExoSkin's products. They don't just fit comfortably and look good. They actually function and work better than other brands out there. This ExoSkin beanie fits my head perfect. It gives me great thermal protection when I need to stop and do whatever I'm doing in the backcountry so I'm not losing all the heat out of the top of my head. you got a lot of blood flow to the top of your head. This beanie has their proprietary um, technology. There's copper fiber woven into the fabric of this exoskin beanie, which prevents this thing from getting really stinky. I mean... It's amazing how many times you can wear your exoskin gear, whether it's the socks, shorts, the shirts, or this beanie. How many times you can take them out, train in them, get them nasty, and they don't stink. That's pretty nice because who likes washing clothes and folding clothes? I know I don't. I friggin' hate folding clothes. Go check out exoskin at exoskin.us. Get you one of these beanies, man. It's cooling off. You're going to enjoy it, whether you're out in the backcountry backpacking, whether you're hunting, whether you're running an ultra. When you stop, get a beanie on your head, and it needs to be from Exoskin because Exoskin's 100% made in America. And I appreciate that. That means something to me. There's many other reasons, but that's an important one. They've also supported the 307 Podcast since the very beginning. They were our first sponsor to invest in the show, which is why we talk about their gear on here. Check them out at exoskin.us. They got a big sale going on right now. I mentioned it in a previous podcast, and um, I think you guys are going to enjoy these this apparel from Exoskin. If you haven't already tried it, go and uh, check them out exoskin.us on exos uh, on instagram at exoskin usa i think is their instagram handle i'll attach it in the show notes of this episode along with a pro code just for you 
three to seven podcast listener so you can get a discount when you go in order. Love you guys here, Stacy. Enjoy it. So I got the both hand for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine you did. Um, when all right, I I, ha, I have to understand on on a deeper level. Like, what were you trying to reconcile after you had your conversation and your prayer with Mr. Melvin, and then you decided to go to this meeting of black farmers? Like, what were you trying to reconcile with something internally, or was there a bigger mission uh, at that point? Like, because you said it was, at some point you figured out this was bigger than just this healing process and this conversation was bigger than just what you, you know, had to deal with. But did it turn into that or was it that initially? I, I don't know if you understand that question. Yeah, I, I think what, <clears throat> what I felt from Melvin and I's, Melvin's prayer was this, uh, you know, this, him calling me out, like pour love on that place and the whole, hold love for that place. And um, I think I, in moving forward, I was trying to work out like what that practically looked like, what that logistically looked like. Okay. Not just as a sentiment, but like, what does that mean on a day to day? Okay. Like how, how do I walk this out? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was some of what the um, article was about. But one of the things I I'm, have been doing was I worked with Barry College. I worked with an anthropologist at Barry College, Dr. Brian Campbell, and a team of his students. And we've been documenting for the past two years the journey of me moving back home and recording interviews with me and Mr. Melvin um, and Miss Betty. And then we interviewed um, one of the last, we interviewed the last remaining black farmer in Chattooga County. He's 78 years old. He's the last, last one left. So we, we interviewed uh, stories of white farmers just, uh, um, just, you know, just to get like a community sense of like mm -hmm. what, what, um, what's, this is a community story. And so let's, let's invite all voices to the table. Okay. Here. So, um, from that, we started having reconciliation conversations and workshops on the farm where, um, <clears throat> we would have, you know, students come and we'd have, um, Mr. Melvin, and Miss Betty come and, you know, we would, um, eat food together and have dinner together, but then we would talk about, you know, these, these, um, we talk about the records. We talk about family history. We talk about these cultural moments that that um, students were navigating. So, um, you know that that was part of you know moving forward the practical the practical place of like how to use the farm as a place of love. Um, and I think I, I, again part of the conversation has also been reparations, and um, that's a hard word to say. Because as soon as you say it, people go, la, 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 la. You know, it's, it's like people don't want to hear it. Or they have, I mean, even myself, like there's something about the word that is like, whoo, it makes me uncomfortable like yeah. to talk about it. It makes me really uncomfortable. Um, and so I've, I, I'm still wrestling with that. Because, um, you know, reparations, I mean, just to, to give a basic definition, is basically, um, you know, a monetary... Um, stipend that would be given and compensated um, when they're wrong, when wrong has been done or when. And so, for example, like in um, um, World War II, when the Japanese were sent to camps here um, in America, the government gave reparations to Japanese Americans oh. after that time happened um, there's been, you know, some reparations given to Native Americans. Um, and so now one of the big conversations in our country is government reparations for um, black Americans. 
And so, um, you know, that was kind of the pressing question and, and, and still is on my mind because, um, you know, reparations, I think, honestly, is a biblical thing. Um, you think about what this, what is it? The seventh, the year seven Jubilee. (laughs) I mean, that's what the Jubilee was, you know, given the land back. So I know there's biblical concepts of reparations, but like when you're trying again, you're talking about walking it out and the practical thing of it. Oh man, that's tough because, you know, now we're 150 years removed from this. And then, you know, like, again, like, where do you start with that? Like who, like if you were going to, as an individual, it's very complicated because like, if you were going to give money, like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you put a price on that? That's what I'm sitting here thinking. Well, the government involvement is tough too, right? Because, you know, if one thing, like you said, the timetable is reparations. If there was going to be some that needed to be done, would have needed to have been done at the time. Like, so Hester didn't have to, like like when you had that discussion with Melvin and he and he talks about like well where was she gonna go yeah yeah you know a place could have been provided for her then yeah but now how how would you walk that out now like you keep asking well it would look like the government creating a new tax for us that we would have to pay into that yeah. which is that the way to do it? You know, well, and it's so tough. All that's going to do is make people angry, right? It's, right. How 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 it's complex? How are yeah. we taxed for that? You know, it's yeah. like we've we've passed this window. <laughs> well, and what happened was after the Civil War, that's where the forty acres and a mule came from. It was a yeah. reparation, but then yeah. the gut, but then the U.S. government took that back and right. revoked it. So you know, it is. Oh, I mean, again, I, I have spent a lot of time thinking of this, and my head's still spinning. And I, what I want to say, uh, because again, um, you know, <laughs> I wanted to hear what Mr. Melvin thought in this conversation, you know, and, um, you know, Miss, Mr. Melvin and um, Miss Betty and I sat down and when we sat down with the reporter and this question was kind of posed, you know, um, there was also a sense for them where, you know, Miss um, Betty said it beautifully in the article. She said, you know, we want justice. We don't want a handout. And so, um, you know, that's when they turned to me and said, all you need to do is pour out love on that place. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, here's the deal. Like, I think at the end of the day, like, I can ask the question, and, and um, Chad and I, you and I were talking about this a little bit after CrossFit the other day, but th- this is what, this is where I'm at personally with it. I want to be willing to live my life in a way that I say, whatever, Lord, whatever you require of me, I will do. When I think about Nicodemus, when he saw Jesus, he ran down the road as a taxpayer and he paid back all the people four times what he owed them. And then he went back to Jesus, and Jesus said, Surely salvation has come to your house. So when I think about that story, I think about, like, I have a choice here. Like, I can think, I, I can just say, well, I wasn't involved in that. It's not on me. It's in the past. You know, what's done is done. Or I could say the other side of that, which is um, it'll never be enough. Like I could pay reparations for the rest of my life and it would never be enough to pay back monetarily the evil that's been done. And to live in shame for something, you know, just to live in that place of shame. But I think that there's such a difference between shame and conviction. And for me, I want to live in that place of conviction because I think the conviction 
is being compelled by love. And so, you know, I'm trying to walk this out and not a paying penance for the rest of my life because I'm a descendant of enslavers. I'm trying to walk this out because I hope my house, I know my house, but I want to people, I want people to see the hope of what happens when salvation comes to my house. So, um, you know, currently, I mean, I'm stewarding that space for this conversation and giving a lot of my time and resources towards that. Um, and I have snags, man. I have days where I wake up where I'm like, I mean, God, because honestly, when I, when I, what I feel at the end of the day is and what, I, what, what a lot of the feedback was from the New York Times article, a lot of people were like, you know, it, it, there were a lot of people encouraging me, which was, I was, that was very kind. But then there was a lot of people that were confirmed, you know, that the feedback that confirms your worst fears, mm-hmm. <laughs> those comments you read that are like, oh yeah, people are saying the thing I don't want them to say. Yeah. Because they're seeing the, yeah, anyway. So the thing that got in my head and it still gets in my head is, you know, but paying the penance of like, well, your family owned slaves, you should, you don't deserve that land and you should, you should sell the land and um, sell the farm. Um, but then that sets up a whole other set of issues, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways, um, I am hoping to continue to move forward in this posture of love. Um, but man, I have to be renewed in it every day. Well, there's a, I mean, I think about this as far to me, if you were to give a portion of your land or give money to descendants of people who were enslaved, then that like, to me, that's an easy way out for you. Like it's a one-time thing, right? Here's this land. We did you wrong. I'm sorry. It's one time thing. It's done. And for them, to me, it would be a slap in the face because it's saying you're put, you think that this amount of land or this amount of money is worth the wrong that I went through. And, and who are you to put value on the wrongings of it? And it, it's not direct to them, but, but if the person, if Hester were still here, who are we to put value on whatever Hester had to endure there? And to, it's the hard way out to say, okay, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to make this lifelong commitment to pour out love on this land and use it to bring awareness and light to this situation. And to me, that's a form of reparation, right? Like that is how you're repaying what was wrong by bringing light to it and using your land for the good of, in spite of all the bad that was done to it. Like I, I think that's a, the honorable and hard way out because then, I mean, uh, you can say that, but not, you know, obviously not everybody's going to agree with that. Well, I mean, how I see th- what what you said is people say you don't deserve that land. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't disagree with that, but nobody does. Nobody deserves that land. I don't think you do. I don't think the descendants of any slave out there deserves that land. I don't think I deserve it. But how I see it is God has given you that land now. And, and kind of going along with what Blake says, you know, none of us deserve that land. You're not going to find somebody out there that deserves it, but it's been given to you now and you can do good with it. Yeah. And, and I think that's why you are back on it <laughs> and you're back on it now in this time and you're doing good with it and you're pouring out love on it. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think sometimes where we get into trouble with these conversations is we talk about what we deserve or what somebody deserves. <laughs> None of us deserves anything. I yeah. mean, at, you know, and when someone is wronged, uh, in a in a sense, they 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 deserve uh, <laughs> something, you know, for that. But I don't I don't know that you can give them what they deserve, other than that's why I like what Melvin said: love. You know. Yeah. Well, and I think like the core of reparations, that word is to repair. Right. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, how, how foolish is it for us to think that a relationship can only be repaired by money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's, I just, I literally just made a note that goes right along the lines with that. And, and I think the reality of this, this is that, uh, it's very, very hard not to become opinionated in terms of, um, this conversation and this topic, which is immediately what, when I think of how I want to respond to this, it's, it's, it's near impossible to not, you know, have my opinion reflect, you know, reflect through in my response. And, but I, I will, I will say along the lines of what you just said, Stacy, you know, you talk about giving something of true value, like giving back something of true value well i'm gonna go ahead and tell you money is not that thing yeah it, 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 it money really has no true value i, I mean it, it it is just a it is just this thing that we we use to to trade for things that we need now uh but like real healing like real, like value in terms of it can heal and restore. It cannot accomplish that. Yeah, it can accomplish that. Like, what are things of true value? Things that that truly are valuable are things like time, things like conversation, things like uh, thoughtfulness, love. Um, those are the things that we can offer to each other. That possess true value in order to restore uh whatever whatever the this the situation is um so you know i i I don't know i i'm doubtful that our nation oh man can i i i just straight up i'm doubtful that our nation in the current shape that it's in can come to a conclusion on this you know, this, I'm thankful that there is someone like you that has deep conviction and not guilt, um, in order to, to take this mission on and walk this journey out. It's just, it's amazing to me, the courage it takes because, you know, I I have a, I had a question on, on my thing here. And, and the question is, how does, how does this that you're talking about Stacy, how does this um, relate in comparison to the new cultural narrative of white shame? And I think you you answered the question. It's the difference between guilt or shame and conviction to restore relationship with your brothers and sisters that have uh, a a dark history because of our dark history as a white people, uh, you know, it's just, it's deep, man. Yeah. It's really deep. Um, and you can, you can feel the difference. I mean, I know in my own heart with anything, not, I mean, not just this conversation, but with any, I mean, any heart sin issue, I, I know the difference between like when the Lord is convicting me is the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance kindness and there's just this like i want to do this (laughs) like i want to i want to i want to do this like not like i have to do this you know but this this just um this ease to it where you know shame i feel like there's this this it almost like gets like at your throat like it just feels like 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 i'm straining like you know white knuckling my way through this or just um like it just, it just, it physically feels different in your body. Yeah. I, I want to ask one thing that you said that was, uh, was I think very important to me was you talked about the relationship between your father and Mr. Melvin, not only as children, but throughout their life. And then Mr. Melvin being a part of your life coming up and, you know, I think that there is a perspective that is propagated on in the mainstream quite often that we hate each other 
because of our difference in color. And especially, you know, your father's generation uh, in a, in rural Georgia, surely they hated each other. Yeah. Uh, how how has the black community that you've interacted with and you know what? I hate even using the word "black community." Me too. I, I, I hate, Me I, I, too. I hate. I hate even. Call, I, I mean, th- these are these are obviously uh, speaking specifically about the group of black farmers that Stacy went and engaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's that's a meeting uh, primarily to discuss issues that black people have experienced in their past. But you know the reason I hate using the word "black community" is because that's that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and it and it it goes against what the Bible tells us about us. Well, you know why we, we are use it. all we are all one in Christ. We use it because it's been propagated. No, I'll tell you why we use it. We use it because of the past that Stacy is talking about. Yeah, that's because they have been alienated. It, it, slavery caused. This fit, it's frustrated me for a long time, uh, you know, when, when people refer to the black community or the white community or it, whatever community. But you can't get frustrated at black individuals that talk about the black community because what else do they talk about? They've been alienated by white people for, for years, and that's pretty fresh now. So it doesn't frustrate me anymore. I, I understand why they do it. I'd like to get to a point where we don't have to refer to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but that's gonna take take well, time. No, I mean, and, and no no wonder no wonder the the conversations that you're having are so hard to have. Yeah, we see this right here. Like, what language do you even use to to portray these relationships? Yeah, like what how what language? And it's and it's not. Uh, let me make this clear. It's not because I'm worried about offending anybody. Me neither. I could care less. All right. Yeah. Uh, I I'm worried about getting to the root of this. And having some healing and some continuity in the community, right? In culture, like that's the root of it. So that's what that, that's why the language. That's why I'm even concerned about the language because if you're not careful, the language you use will just simply continue to propagate the division that does exist. But have I? I mean. I assume you've been received with open arms. Yeah, I, I think um, what what the difference is, I'm received by those who know me too. Like, I, I think that um, it's been a very healing story, but, you know, speaking to my dad and Mr. Melvin, um, you know, they knew each other like we know each other as neighbors and as brothers and sisters and that called them forth in a in a even a place where culturally back when they were born it it, it was not there but i mean what i have seen to be honest in and to i uh, what you said about black community it's it's uh, again there's just been I, I see and what I'm in in awe of is the specifically I just want to speak to the black church um which again I, I think that Sunday mornings is one of the most segregated times in our culture still today oh, yeah 100 percent so but I think those spaces have been necessary for the healing of that community to take place because that was literally one of the only places where they could experience freedom or expression of what the suffering they were going through. That's why some of those black spirituals are just, you know, when you read the words of them, you're like, you know, they're they're clinging to like the songs of the people of Israel. You yeah. know, I mean, like they're so understanding of what bondage, like the residue of bondage, like even it, even, you know, generations of people, you know, we're, we're so far out, they still understand the curse of what that bondage was like. 
and the residue of how it still exists. And I think, I mean, I will say as a white bodied person, like I don't, I don't think even in my own self that I probably have understood that in a way that like that a person with black skin would because there's there's just um there's just a different experience and so I think for me you know with with entering into this conversation I think that I have been so surprised at the grace extended to me like and and honestly the gratefulness and this to me this just feels like <laughs> like not that hard but the gratefulness that has been expressed to just acknowledge that harm was done yeah like just to acknowledge that something bad went down you know and that feels like the bare minimum right there but um that that I think again is part of that re- repairing that relationship. Like, like when you need to repair a relationship, you got to acknowledge that something has been broken. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting about that statement right there is that acknowledgement of it, like the reality of it, uh, is extremely important, but. What I see happening is the acknowledgement of it a lot of times leads to emotions like anger. The acknowledgement leads to bad emotions, which leads to the destruction of the historical evidence that you would even need to acknowledge and get to the bottom of it. And, you know, it's been crazy to me to watch over the last few years as government, uh, governmental authorities are tearing down monuments that represent a history that we refuse to acknowledge, but when we do decide to acknowledge it as a, as a, as a culture... Mm-hmm. Instead of acknowledging it, pouring love into it, experiencing healing through it, we acknowledge it and then immediately begin to tear down mm-hmm. whatever evidence there was of it so that it will, and what that will lead to is actually, it will not it be remembered. Re- it, it will not be remembered and then it will repeat itself. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible um, well, reaction to the acknowledgement. <laughs> I believe it's yeah. going to repeat itself regardless because that's just what history does. But that is that is certainly the the way to ensure that it will. Uh, but also, you know, as far as slavery specifically goes, I mean, that's obviously been prevalent from the beginning of time. Yeah, and and is continuing on. That's why I have no disillusions that it will ever go away completely because there's slavery today in many forms. Uh, you know. China is enslaving Uyghur Muslims along with Christians today by the millions, and we ignore it. And, uh, you know, the, as far as human trafficking and, and that, that form of slavery, uh, it, it's prevalent today. And I, and I can't help but think a lot of these discussions, not the types of discussions that we're having and that Stacy's having, but the, these other discussions you see loosely around this topic uh, it's a distraction uh, amongst those, along with what Chad's saying. It, it, it's almost destined to repeat itself here in America, and it's it, it's a distraction from the other forms that we see today. So, yeah, I don't. Uh, I think some people need to evaluate the conversations that they're having and see if they're actually what are they producing, because some of the the conversations that deny this history or not even to cover it up, that's not doing any good. Yeah, uh, You're not going to learn anything. Or conversations that are being had simply to... Make e- people feel e- good. Neg- or make them feel angry or Some upset. people feel... Evoke yeah, yeah. Negative uh, emotions. Well, yeah. and I think, again, there's been a lot of silence. And a lot of silence. 
and I think that silence has an evil to it as well, because, Hmm. you know, even within my family, like unintentionally, you know, there's just been this, there's been some operating and some shame. Like, we don't want to talk about this. We're going to cover it up. We're going to just keep it with the family. And, uh, you know, we've just discovered that, you know, Hester's descendants are actually connected to Miss Betty, um, Melvin's um, wife, Miss Betty Mosley. And, you know, when, when we re, re, when we discovered this, it was just this strange joy of, I mean, with her, she was like, I, you know, this is part of my family history that, that I was like, we didn't know because we didn't have the knowledge of these stories. So, I mean, I, I mean, it was like, you really felt like this generational restoration happening in that moment, but mm. then you felt the grief of it too. You know, I think the same as to said, you mentioned like the, the, monuments and all of these things like i don't think we've told the story well in the past yeah and i think it's it's that's why this feels so complicated in the moment that we're in now is it's um all of these things are bumping into one another and we we haven't told the whole story mm-hmm. we we haven't you know and and again i mean there's relationship god i mean i, I really believe when we truly know somebody it's hard to hate them I mean, I really, it's a lot yeah. easier to hate somebody you don't know. Yeah. Well, and you know, we can get aggravated about them tearing down monuments and doing the things that are not fixing this. But the fact of the matter is the people that are doing all that don't want it fixed. Well, they well, want yeah. the, and you even think like when you mentioned that your dad and Mr. Melvin played together as kids, it made me think that in that time. Most people would think everybody's racist, right? Like the schools are segregated. I don't know who came up with segregated schools, but I would assume it's it's it was public schools, so it's probably some governmental thing. Oh, it'd take so, a long time, but but you think okay, the the government has just continued this segregation here, but here are two kids playing together, black and white, that are clearly not racist, and clearly their parents are, or they would not have let them play together, but the schools are still segregated and then you move fast forward to today and what's being put out on the news and, and it's all this black lives matter stuff and and all all of that is just more division that's being put out by the people who don't want the american people to come together they don't want it fixed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, t- it's, it takes people like us having this conversation and people on the other side who have problems just the same that we do and finding some common ground and saying, look, yeah. it was wrong. Let, let's, let's like move on. Let, let's figure out and let's reconcile this and not move on and forget it, but let's move forward in a better manner than what we've well, been doing. And that, and that's what Jesus did. Like you, you think about the story of the good Samaritan mm-hmm. when he was telling that story, he was using like, names of groups of people that he knew when he was talking to that audience, they'd be like, Oh, well that person would never stop for a Jew. You know, like, I mean, he intentionally was speaking to what you're saying. He was saying, you know, um, (laughs) he he was, he was trying to surprise. He was surprising people. He was calling people out of that, calling people back to humanity. Like, but I, I think that, let me give this story. This is a personal story, but I want to say it because I, I feel like it's a story of hope and I feel like it needs to be told. I'm going to try to remove some names, but anyways, had a family member that, um, very close family member had a rebel flag flying on his porch, um, throughout the election. And, um, and for him, that flag symbolized um, kind of like, honestly, Southern heritage and being country, like being from the country. There's, there's this connotation to that. Um, and, um, you know, again, we live in a community where neighbors know each other really well. And so um, Mr. Melvin stopped in to this family member's home, and he just had a conversation with him. And he said, listen, I, I understand what that flag means to you, but I want you to consider also what my family sometimes thinks when I see that flag. Mm-hmm. 
and, and what we associate it with. And it's your personal property. You can do whatever you want. But, but I just wanted to say, just because you might not have considered that, you might not have considered what, what it brings back for us on this side. Yeah. And he took it down. And he put up an American flag. But that conversation couldn't happen with a person that he didn't know. Yeah. Like, he removed that because he knew Melvin loved him and because he loved Melvin. Yeah, yeah. he had respect for what he had to, what, what he had yes. to say to him. Yes. Um, gosh, dog, man. Let's take a, let's take a little break real quick. All right. All right. <sighs> Tell you what, man, you guys freaking stress me out. It's like herding cats around here, man. You just, chilly. we take a break. We're standing here for 10 minutes. And when we're ready to start the podcast again, you walk outside. You aren't ready. You stress me out, dude. You know what stresses me out? When the guest shows up to the podcast studio before you. <clears throat> that did happen. We showed up at the same time. Her mm. car was coming to the gate before yours. Well. I can open a gate. Well. You weren't. You, I, I didn't go out when you were ready. I came back in here and was ready before you were. I had my headphones on before you, sitting here in position, looking at you. You see, this is this is one of Chili's main problems. Um, his hard headedness. It's because he had to wear a school uniform all his life. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's true. I did have to wear a school uniform, but I'm not. I am hard headed too, but uh, that's. I think that's got me far in life. My stubbornness. You stubborn? It's gotten you 22 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> stubborn people get stuff done. You know, with this with this conversation that we're having, I, I, I really wish... There that that you could that that we could come come up with some definitive solutions or plans of action or or just the layers of it though are so deep, man. You know why why one reason why I am so passionate about this specific topic is well, not just this topic, but another one reason why your mission and your story appeals to me so much. For the listeners, maybe not so, but for me, it appeals to me in a big, big way. Um, one, because I see this as one of the core issues of our nation. Uh, of humanity. Humanity, that's well, it. Well, yeah, of, of humanity, but... I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, That's it. there, there are. I've been all over the world, man, and other nations don't have these issues on the level that we have them here in America. Uh, well, I think they have them on a bigger level. Uh, well, I of, think of I think, having slave, like you talking about slavery or what? No, just the just the 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 tension. The division. The, the, the division uh, culturally as it pertains to skin color. Well, well it's because they don't have a they don't have a say in it. Like I mean, th their division was not when slaves were prevalent in America. The division was not here because the slaves didn't have a say, right? Uh, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. Listen, I, okay, I, I can I can agree with you guys. And if you, if you want to say this is this is one of the core issues of humanity. I say I, I'm gonna just say it's one of the core issues. What is racism is a core human pr fall problem, but the the division you're talking about, sure that that's an uniquely American because America's unique. Yeah, it manifests itself differently all over the world. So another reason that this conversation is um, really impactful to me is because I grew up in the grips of 
racism and deep hatred that I felt toward other people, people that weren't the same color as me, and I also received hatred from people that weren't the same color as me back at me, right? And it caused a lot of, a lot of, like there was, there were times in my young adult life where it just, it, it, it consumed me. It, um, it's been very prevalent. This, this has been racism uh, as it pertains to American culture has been very prevalent in my entire young adult uh, childhood, all, all that, all the way up through, right? So the, what, what allowed me to break free from those chains of hatred and, and division and all that, believe it or not, it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't my salvation. It wasn't. It was my career in the Navy. Like, it, it totally changed my heart, um, my, my perspective, my thought, my train of thoughts, everything. It changed everything. Because when, hum, when, when you are thrust into an environment that's dangerous, where life and death is on the line, right, and you depend on the actions of the man to your right and left, all of a sudden, you realize all this freaking bull crap about color is exactly what it is. It's some manufactured bull crap yeah. is all it is. It's astounding uh, when you have that revelation. That is probably one of the most transformative things that came out of my service in the Navy. I'm just so thankful for it, man. I am so thankful for it. And um, the military, the U.S. Navy, specifically the SEAL teams, was probably one of the least uh, racist, if you want to call it, environments that I've ever inhabited in my entire life because all the superfluous manufactured bullcrap is burned off by the the danger that the the imminent danger that we would face sometimes on a daily basis you know i uh you said something earlier stacy that was interesting to me and you talked about the disconnect between you you said there was only one black farmer left in Chattooga county and the disconnect between um a black American and the land because, because of their, because of the history, right? I forget how you exactly said it, yeah. but that was so, that was so interesting to me because we also see that disconnect. In other words, we haven't had a single student come out to the basic course yet that has been black or Asian, or uh, it's it's all been, we've had some Hispanics and mostly white students, and like that bothers, I've been trying to get at the root of that, like where is the disconnect coming from, and we talk about layers, and you say, man, there's a layer I never even thought about, you know? Well, why does just, that bother you? It, it bothers me because I realize that there is... I, I really that that's a problem. Like it bothers me because it's a problem. And well, it's like, I mean, there, are, there are black people that are interested in this, and why aren't they coming to our course? He's he's worried that there might be right. Like there's some what else is going on that are preventing them well, from I, attending our course. I'm also a thinker, and I I think about these things. So like when I when I see something that's that's off or skewed, um. I think about like what is the reason for this, and, I, and you know, I just I just don't evaluate things that way. Like I, it wouldn't have dawned on me that the demographics of the people that attended the, I don't know, I just don't. Well, and I think, well, that's reality. I think it's something. I mean, it's not nothing. It's not anything that dawns on me. It's the reality of it. No, like I wouldn't pay attention to the skin color of the people that were coming out there. Like it wouldn't even hit me. Like I just. 
But I think it's something good to be curious about. And again, like I, I say that not because that's my own beliefs, but because that's what I've heard from black farmers and the experience of, you know, even this older black farmer who's saying not many people in my family younger are interested in farming because of this. Exactly. And so, you know, again, farming and, and the work that you do, I mean, it's both so like you're, part of your purpose and my purpose, I think are very similar in that we feel connected to the land and we love bringing people in a setting that they can connect themselves with the land. And, mm-hmm. and part of that is what are the narratives or the barriers that might be going into that person that could prevent them from that experience or discourage them from that experience. I mean, I know for me, you know, being a woman, um, I mean, gosh, like I did some of the farming work growing up, but, and I know, I know that my strength is, is not, um, is not that of a man my age, but at the same time, I think I'm stronger than some dudes I've met too. <laughs> but again, for me, a narrative has been, um, you know, man, I don't know if I'm physically strong enough to do the work of farming. Yeah. That's why I joined CrossFit. You know, like I'm 40 years old. I have never moved my body like this. And dude, I mean, I am physically engaging in a way in the last two years I have never done. And I'm proud. I mean, I'm proud that I'm stronger than I was two years ago. But like there were narratives that I didn't even realize were affecting um affecting me and the way that I viewed even the work of farming or the work of the land or the engagement of the land. And so that's what I hear you saying. Like, you're just curious, like what are people's narratives about that experience that could be affecting them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're exactly right. Very eloquently put much more so than I put it. Um, You know, I have so many questions, but we got to wrap this up at some point. Um, what is okay your your current you there you you are this is your current mission then like there's been there there's uh, well uh, i mean if there was closure on this it would be a wonderful thing but there's no closure on it in sight what is uh like where are you going now with the farm with your day-to-day, like, what is your vision? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I, I think, um, it is my mission, but it's a mission that feels not something that is out with this specific point yet or agenda it feels more right now like this this the mission is also being done in me Mm. that's part of the mission yeah i get that and so it's it's um you know, it's a lot, and that's a messy process. It's messy to kind of know like, well, this is where I feel. I mean, it'd be really nice for me to say X, Y, Z, here's a little, let's tie this up with a bow. You know, this is what it's going to look like. But I think honestly, in some ways, like um, the journey that I feel like I'm on is continuing to make me dependent on the Lord in this as far as what's next. And so, um, I'm just acting on the next thing, you know? And so, you know, we're, we're about to put this film out into the community. Um, and, um, we're going to continue these conversations on a communal level. I I think I have a lot to learn about facilitating those conversations and Mm -hmm. what that's going to look like. Um, you know, I'm, I'm stumbling into that and, and, um, you know, again, I, I think it's really difficult because as you mentioned before, like you don't want to offend anybody, but when you're having a communal conversation, you know, you're aware that certain things are going to bump up against each other. And so people are going to have conflict. And like, if I really want to use my 
place is a place of healing, am I willing to be a facilitator of uncomfortable conversations? So I'm trying to learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that learning is noting within myself how I feel when I'm in an uncomfortable conversation. You know, what goes up in me, which is a lot of times like I want to be a lot of self-preservation and, you know, goes up in me. Um, and so um, I'm hopeful that, you know, my farm can continue to be a place used for love, a place to teach people, a place to connect people to the land. Um, Blake and his girls came out there. And I mean, I just loved seeing your kiddos, yeah. like getting to milk the cow and, oh, you know, just, it. just being on the land. Like there's something that, I mean, there's not words for it. Like there's something about just putting people in that setting that it just does the work. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would love to have more opportunities to do that on my farm, um, just to allow people to come out and maybe maybe they don't need to talk. Maybe they need to come and pet a horse for a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, I mean, I'm I've got hands wide open right now. You know, I'm I'm hopeful, um, but um, we'll see. Let's see. Isn't it an interesting concept to be willing to step into a conversation uh, where you are okay with being offended by someone's perspective? Mm-hmm. That's a very foreign, I think, that's a very foreign concept for a lot of people. Like, and maybe gets at a lot of the root of why conversations like this have have been swept under the rug for so long is we are very hesitant to walk into a group or a room or to facilitate something where it, it with 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 a heart that is prepared to say okay if i'm i fully expect to be offended by someone else's perspective on this subject and i'm okay with that i'm gonna i'm gonna work through that that's freaking that's very rare yeah and i think we have to equip people to not avoid that but what do we do when that happens that's what Mm -hmm. people don't know how to do that's why we're seeing like you said i mean like i think you're right like i don't know i mean i feel the division i feel I feel these moments of trepidation of what's to come for our country, but I, I think that's it. It's like we we can't avoid the conversation. Well, we can't avoid the conversations, but like, how do we how do we respond when the ouches happen, when the toes get stepped on, and how and how do we almost like prepare us if that's going to happen? Yeah, it needs to happen. Yeah. Mm. I can tell something's burning on your heart, Chili. No, I was just confused about what do you mean be offended by someone's perspective? I'm sitting here pondering that. I'm like, I've never why would you be offended by someone's perspective? I'm curious. Well, that's uh that's just kind of the reality of life. Well, um, no, I mean you talked about like stepping in and facilitating a conversation. Like, why would we why would we be offended by hearing someone else's perspective on what we're talking about? Because it's because contrary it, to what you think, and people don't like to be disagreed with. It's contrary to what you believe. Yeah. So your your perspective is shaped right. by your experiences in life. So a lot of times you think your perspective is truth, mm. right? Right, but it's your perspective. Well, okay, but unfortunately... Most people, including myself, find themselves in a situation where they're thinking their perspective is truth because it's all that they know of the world, right? So when someone comes at you with something that goes against your truth, uh, <laughs> that that ain't fun. Well, it's like a colorblind person and someone who sees color and they say, the lid of that water bottle's blue and you, you're colorblind and you say, no, it's not that... That is black. I don't know. I and I th- say, no, it's blue. And, and you go back and forth. And in reality, to you, it's black. To me, it's blue. It, it's it's a lid. But it's j- like you can 
I don't know in that situation you're not offended by it, but on a deeply rooted topic such as this, someone who has been hurt by this could be I just have a hard time understanding the concept of being offended. It's always been and, and so on I mean since we since this conversation has revolved around the topic of um race kind of relations in, in a way it's right. been much more than that but uh, okay let's look at this uh the the current narrative of this critical race theory where we talk about um pieces like the white shame and stuff like that like for somebody has a perspective where that is tr- true to them all right whoever's formulating that are there maybe you know some people are formulating it for the wrong reasons but People that are propagating that for them because of of this perspective that's been formed, that's truth to them. Well, I'm offended by that. Like, I'm going to be straight up with you, uh, because it's it's not it's it goes totally against my perspective on this, right? So where where is the actual truth? Well, it's probably somewhere. It's probably somewhere in the middle of the of of mm-hmm. those of the two perspectives right you know but anyways that that's i guess that's the best way that i can explain entering into conversations around because if somebody came up to me and wanted to discuss critical race theory or something like that i'm more than likely going to start from a very defensive position instead of actually going into it saying okay let's actually get to the bottom of this thing you know what i mean so what you got, Blake? No, I don't have anything else to add there. Okay. Yeah. Um, Stacy, how can uh, well, first of all, I want to ask you: is there, is there anything else on your heart that we mm. that we've missed that you feel like um, you, you feel like the world needs to hear? And when I say the world, I mean literally the world. We have thousands of listeners in the uk and australia and new zealand and all over the world so we get to reach a lot of people through this platform god's given us so Hmm. just want to open it up to you if there's because i know there's parts of your story that i'm sure we brushed over Hmm. i i think that um I hope that what people can hear and take into their own lives from this is um, we all have an opportunity to walk out our stories and our lives in a powerful, hopeful way. And that calling and that place of living missionally, as you said, Chad, um, I think can be distracted by a lot of different things. Mm. But if we stay the course and we stay true to what we know we are called to and, and, you know, in a way own our own path, on our own role in this journey. Um, like, I think that's all we can do. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the simple thing that I'm trying to do is love my neighbor as I love myself. Like, hmm. you know, the first command in my life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind. And the second commandment is to love thy neighbor as you love yourself. Wow. Yeah. That's the solution. You say there isn't really a solution. <laughs> I mean, is That's the mission. Yeah, that's it. There really is one. Mm-hmm. Well, that was good. You think we could ever get Mr. Melvin on the podcast? Oh, he I would t- be amazing. <clears throat> I told her that when... Uh, I think I passed him when I left your house. He's sitting out on his porch there. Oh, it might have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I told her that when we went over there. I said, man, he sounds like a good one. Just from the little bit you told me about him at your house. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I love this 
I love this type of content and this type of conversation. I mean, I could make a whole podcast series just hearing different perspectives on on this topic, you know, personally. Uh, so that would be cool. But, um, man, Stacy, I just want to thank you so much for being who you are, um, for your courage, just your unwavering commitment, for your generosity. Uh, it's just, I, I, I don't even have words for it other than thank you because you are making a difference. Uh, this conversation has made a difference in me personally. And I've, I've known you now for months and see you just about on a daily basis. But the fact that you set aside the time out of your schedule to come have this conversation with me um, impacted me greatly. And I thank you for that. Thank you, guys. It's it's been truly an honor to sit with you today to talk about this. Well, all right, guys. I guess we will uh, we'll wrap it up. And um, last thing, I want to know, Stacey, if you could tell the listeners where they can find you, follow you, uh, come be a part or interact with you, whatever it may be. Sure. Um, you can follow along our farm journey on um, Mountain Mama Farms on Instagram. And we also have a blog, uh, mountainmamafarms.com. And, yeah, be sure to check us out and follow along. I love it. And I'll attach links to that in the show note of this episode. So if you guys don't know where the show notes are, just scroll down, and it's the notes under the show. That's the show notes. I put links in there to make this easy for you freaking scallywags that can't navigate this computer land. So those will be in there. Just click them and go. Uh, reach out to Stacy. Let her know that uh, that you love her or, or let her know that you don't love her. Let her know what you thought about this conversation because, um, and, and same with us here at 3-7 Project. Um, and if you'd like to hear more conversations like this, then we will do the work on our end to make that happen. Um, we love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Enough said.